welcome to the Fresh Expressions Podcast Season 3. I'm your host, Heather Jalad. I'm a local church pastor and a cultivator of Fresh Expressions, new faith communities that strive to reach new people in unexpected places. In Season 3, we're opening our archive of a decade of useful training materials and sharing some of the talks and workshops that have inspired us over the years. This season is brought to you by FX Connect. FX Connect is an online community of church leaders who are reaching new people in new places and where you can find an entire library of practical and inspiring training materials. You can register for free today at fxconnectus.org. Hey friends, today's episode features Luke Edwards and Deb Hirsch talking about creating safe space for those outside of the church. Luke Edwards is the founder of King Street Church, a network of fresh expressions in Boone, North Carolina, and serves currently as the Associate Director of Church Development for the Western North Carolina Conference of the United Methodist Church. Uh, I encourage you to pick up his book, Becoming Church. You can find that on our Fresh Expressions website. So, um, so wonderful as a guide to to starting Fresh Expressions of Church to journey together. Um, also, check out his um, website, The Listening Church, where uh, there are a number of resources that he's developing uh, to help churches listen well, uh, which is such an integral part of the Fresh Expressions journey. Uh, Deb Hirsch is a, a speaker, church leader, and writer. She has led churches in Australia and Los Angeles. She is one of the founders of Forge America, uh, a missional training uh, team that uh, helps churches reconsider the mission of the church and take that missional shape. She is a board member of Missio Alliance. Um, she has authored the book, Redeeming Sex, Naked Conversations About Sexuality and Spirituality, and co-authored the book, Untamed, Reactivating Missional Forms of Discipleship with her husband, Alan Hirsch. When you listen to this episode, I know that you will glean much from this, uh, from this talk that was given at a previous uh, national gathering, um, and, and, a number of things that that Luke lifts up first in uh, the longings of every human heart, belonging, meaning, and truth. Uh, he talks about the the building blocks of creating these spaces of belonging uh, that are relational. Um, uh, location is integral. Language uh, and really uh, warns us against our overuse of of Christian ease and 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 draws our awareness to that. Uh, and ratios, church people versus unchurched people in these different contexts and um, and kind of the, the the shape and form that develop as a result. And um, and then saving the dad talk, you'll have to listen closely for uh, for that warning. I think it's um, something that we all need to consider in these places and spaces as well. Um, <clears throat> 
I, I I know that you'll you'll glean a lot from what Luke has to share. I know you, you will glean a lot from what Deb has to share as well. Um, just some really, really powerful stories about um, creating these spaces and the ways that God has worked um, in the midst of them, the way the Holy Spirit is um, present and, and powerfully uh, bringing about um, revelation in these places. Um, she addresses uh, creating these spaces through the lens of social set theory, uh, bounded set versus centered set uh, thinking and gathering. And uh, the significance in these uh, a centered set of Jesus being at the center, uh, reminding us that Jesus himself said that if you lift me up, I will call all people to myself. And then I will just encourage you uh, to meet us over at fxconnectus.org. You'll find another, another, a number of other resources just like this one there. And you can hear the keynote uh, that Deb gave at this gathering. Um, and it's, it's entitled Barriers to Bridges. There's a video that you can there find there at fxconnectus.org under the video tab um, if you search for Deb. So have a listen, um, listen again, and uh, enjoy this conversation with Luke Edwards and Deb Hirsch. Well, so I wanted to, to start uh, by talking about, I'm going to kind of talk about two main uh, focuses of creating a safe space for folks that are uh, outside of the church. Um, so the, the first one I wanted to talk about was um, thinking about the longings of folks that are outside of the church. And really, it's the longings of all of us. Um, uh, it's uh, a few of them are, are from Erwin uh, McManus has a, a book that talks about the longings of every human heart. So some of this might be a little familiar, but uh, so there's three longings that really stood out to me uh, that really fit well with folks outside the church. So the first one um, was belonging. Uh, so if we're thinking about creating a safe space for folks outside of the church, these are the, the kind of uh, these are three things that. Uh, when someone's longing to be a part of something, that uh, if, if we can create uh, a safe space that has these, uh, it's going to bring in folks outside the church. So belonging um, is that desire to, to have people that care about you, to have people that miss you when you're gone, uh, to have people uh, that are checking in on you, uh, that you can laugh with, that you can cry with. Um, one of our, our folks who uh, is a part of King Street Church, he uh, grew up in group homes. And so uh, he was constantly um, ejected from belonging. So he was uh, pulled out of his, uh, the home that he grew up in, a home of abuse. He was brought to uh, group homes uh, and then moved to another group home and then moved to another group home, moved to a foster family, moved to another foster family. And so the greatest thing that we can offer uh, this young man is a sense of belonging. Um, and because of his history of, of abuse, he often tries to reject that, uh, that belonging. He tries to push us away, um, and we just keep welcoming him back. Um, the second uh, longing is meaning. Uh, we had a, a baptism at, at Boone MC the other week, and um, in the liturgy it said uh, that we are hope, helping this child to walk in the way that leads to life. 
And I think uh, if you look at the desires of folks in our community, that's what they long for, uh, is to have a life that is full of meaning. Uh, I think of a, a conversation I had with uh, a man who left the big city to come to the uh, small town of Boone because he had lost focus of what life was about uh, and wanted to, to find that meaning. Um, and so if we're creating a, an environment where meaning can be discovered, uh, that's a big deal. Um, and then the last one is truth. Um, this idea of uh, a longing in our hearts to know what's right, um, to know what's wrong, um, and to know what's interesting. I think we're, we're uh, very curious people. Um, so uh, we've had folks that come to King Street Church uh, because they were curious about the Christian faith. They were curious about Jesus. We had a, an agnostic anarchist uh, who came to King Street Church because he thought the politics of Jesus were fascinating. Um, and so when you create this safe space, uh, a place where um, important questions can be asked, a, a place where um, just the, the hard things about life can be uh, discussed and uh, discovered and uncovered, uh, it's, a, it's a really powerful thing that brings folks um, from outside of the church. Um, and then, so these are the, the kind of longings that I, I find helpful in creating new forms of church for those outside of the church. Um, and then thinking a little bit uh, more practically on kind of some building blocks of uh, what creates a safe space. Um, so these are the, what kind of brings people in, um, but what uh, are some things that keep us, keep our, our space safe that we're creating in a fresh expression. So, so the first one is um, that a fresh expression is relational. And so if, uh, if the focus of a fresh expression is on relationship, um, then, then a safe place uh, is, is at the foremost, foremost of our, our priorities. So uh, a fresh expression should be fun and committed group of folks. It should be loving um, it should be growing through conflict. When we do have conflict, because any community is going to have conflict, uh, that we work through it, we talk through it, uh, we don't sweep it under the rug. Um, so that initial building block of, of a fresh expression, of a safe fresh expression is relationship. Uh, the next one uh, is location. Um, so in fresh expressions, we talk a lot about uh, third places. Um, and third place is a sociological term uh, the first, it talks about the three places we spend most of our time um, in, in our lives. So the first place is home. The second place is work. Uh, so we spend a lot of our time in those places. And then third places are the other places we spend our time. So it could be a soccer field. Uh, it could be a coffee shop. Uh, it could be a pub. Um, uh, all these different places that we go. A gym, uh, a walking trail. Uh, there's endless third places in our communities. And so... Uh, by just the location of where we start a fresh expression, the location of where we gather people can help people feel safe. Um, so in our post-Christian society, a church often doesn't feel safe. Um, for folks who have different beliefs, for folks um, who have been burned by the church, for folks that have watched enough of the news to see a preacher say something racist or homophobic or uh, whatever they've said, they know that a church might not be a safe place. Uh, but a coffee shop, um, a place where they're already familiar with, a place where they already gather can be a safe space. Um, and so uh, what's, what's tricky is another aspect of a safe place is one 
that you can have privacy and trust. Uh, so that's been a difficult balance in King Street Church to find a place that is both public and private. Um, and so some of the, the best third places we've found are a room off of the homeless shelter or um, a corner of the bar where other people aren't really eavesdropping from other tables um, or a coffee shop that's closed. Uh, that's one of our most recent uh, explorations. So it's, it's a coffee shop. People are familiar with it, but it's closed, so there's not other customers listening in. So I think location is an important uh, thing to think through. Uh, language is another really big one. Um, and so Christianese should just be avoided at all costs uh, to create a, a safe space. Um, and that's going to be hard for church people. It's going to be hard um, for folks... Uh, that don't even realize the things that they're saying are just entrenched, deeply entrenched in a, in a culture um, that folks outside of the church are not going to know what's, what's going on. And so if we want a safe space for those outside of the church, we really need to speak the language of the people uh, that we're wanting to be in community with um, and prioritize that and call that out uh, when our language becomes exclusive. Um, a fourth one is one that I never expected or read in a book, but experienced uh, painfully. Um, and that's ratios. And this is a, a kind of weird one. Um, but it's this idea that uh, folks outside of the church, they don't want to be the only one that's not Christian in a group. Uh, no one wants to be the token. Uh, and so I discovered this the hard way when uh, we had King Street Church uh, started five years ago. And as we began, we had this nice balance of people with a strong Christian faith, people with a, a, a questioning faith, one of, uh, I get some of this, I don't get some of this. And then we had people that just were not Christian, didn't have an intention to become Christian, but found it interesting, found belonging, uh, found the, the opportunity to talk about uh, current issues, about life was important to them. And so we had this nice balance of the three. And then the local paper uh, heard about it uh, and wrote an article. And then from then on, uh, for the next month or two, a lot of church people saw that there was a new shiny thing uh, to, to check out, to uh, visit, to see what was happening. Um, and the ratio became thrown off. And so there was a lot more Christians than there were non-Christians. And I literally had a, a conversation with one of uh, the young men who told me he was not going to be coming anymore. He said, I don't like being the to token atheist. Um, I, don't, I don't like it. It doesn't feel good. It feels weird. Like uh, It's become kind of a church thing. And that, that's what a lot of the guys that left, I uh, probably had out of a, a group of 12 kind of core, probably had six people that, that left. Um, because it become a church thing. And I think what, what that meant was they no longer felt safe in that space. They, they felt it was uh, that church that they had chosen not to go to. Um, and so that one was an interesting one, and it began this process of something I never learned in seminary, and that is uh, chasing away people from church. Uh, that you, you don't learn about that. Uh, but it was something that I had to, had to do. So it was... Uh, if we we're going to prioritize folks outside of the church and prioritize their safety and their, uh, their desire to explore the gospel, uh, we had to turn some people away that were already connected to another church. Um, and so one way, the nicest way I've learned to do that um, is to not put our times on the website. Uh, so somebody has to reach out to us 
Um, so we have our email address kind of right below the gatherings that are listed. And so when somebody wants to come, they reach out, uh, and then I can kind of have that conversation. I can uh, lay out, hey, we have folks that are coming that aren't Christian. We have folks that are Christian. Uh, I can kind of get a feel for someone. If, if they're already a part of another church, I can say, uh, you're welcome to visit once, but this isn't really for you. Um, and so it's, it's an awkward kind of thing, but it, it happens when we have to prioritize. Yeah? That is so important. Mm-hmm. When you were at dinner church, and it's a fresh expression, and mm-hmm. a community where most of the people who come are unchurched. Mm-hmm. What we have the problem is when the church people from around here about us they want to come and serve. They're mm-hmm. out serving, serving the soup kitchen. Mm-hmm. These poor, pitiful people, I'm going to help do my mm-hmm. food for the week. We tell them, I'm sorry, thank you very much, but we don't need anyone to serve. Yeah. We need, if you want to come and be part of the community and sit and have dinner and fellowship with these people and build a relationship and answer their questions when they want to know more about Jesus, come on. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, we yep. politely decline to help. Yeah, and to that, yeah, that made me think of someone else was saying that y'all had a dinner church, so it was church people coming. And so I think part of that is starting with a smaller launch team that I think with a fresh expression that you're hoping to become 20 people, like start with two church people or three church people. Don't start with 12 because uh, then you're creating this off-balance ratio. Um, so that's been something that uh, I've wrestled with, and it still feels weird to... Uh, to kind of create a, a boundary around something when inclusivity is so important to us, when uh, radical inclusivity has been at this kind of cornerstone of King Street Church. Uh, but th- I guess that's kind of where our inclusivity ends, um, is when someone's already connected to a church. Um, the next one is uh, appetizers. Um, so uh, g- gospel appetizers, not meals. Uh, last night, <laughs> I kind of got tricked into going to a uh, steak dinner. It was like, I should have known. Like, John was with me. Uh, someone suggested it. And it was like a giant steak, you know. And if we are serving giant steaks of the gospel to folks uh, that have never experienced it before, that are unfamiliar uh, with Christ, you, you're going to turn them away. You're going to, uh, it's, it's going to be too much to ingest. And so every week when uh, we gather at King Street Church, uh, I'm not trying to proclaim this long sermon and the intricacies of uh, the Christian faith. Um, we're not getting into double predestination or anything like that. We're, we're serving bite-sized pieces of the gospel. Um, and we're taking our time. Uh, uh, it's, it's slow. Um, and, and there's other churches that are doing kind of faster work, and sometimes that does work. Um, but King Street Church is called to do the slow work of God, to, uh, to form relationships and to just take one step at a time. Um, and so we've, uh, we've had a, a woman who converted um, to Christianity from kind of spiritual, not religious, and it took her two years uh, within King Street Church to come to that decision. Um, and it was just one week at a time having these discussions, uh, answering questions, walking through things, um, and it eventually... Uh, the Holy Spirit moved, and um, it was a, a good Friday when she read the, the verse about Christ on the cross, and she said, I get it now. Uh, and so it, but it took two years. Um, and the, the last one was uh, advice I was given by a guy named Brian Zare. Uh, he was my coach for a little while, and he said, uh, save the dad talks for emergencies. Uh, so in doing ministry with folks outside of the church, 
if you compare their lives to what Scripture says we should live our lives, there's going to be a long list of things that we could uh, have a talk with them about. Uh, I don't know that you should be living with your girlfriend. Uh, I don't know that uh, you should be cussing people out. I don't know that you should be uh, getting in fights. I don't know that you should be uh, doing drugs. I don't know that you should be drinking. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. Um, there's a lot of things. And so uh, to form that relationship with people, the way we interact with folks can't always be uh, a dad talk because they're not going to come back. Um, but saving those talks for emergencies, so uh, saving it for a time when uh, someone's hit rock bottom uh, and they're ready to talk about that. Um, saving it for uh, when something's getting to a point that it's concerning um, and letting the, the spirit of, of Christ do the conviction uh, a lot of the other times. Uh, I think it's, it's really important, but it will be hard uh, for, some of, for some of us. Um, so just kind of in conclusion, uh, all of these things, uh, to create a safe place for those outside of the church, uh, really the, the only thing we have to do is to prioritize those outside of the church. Uh, to prioritize them above everything else. Uh, to prioritize them over numbers. Um, so if you've got three people coming to your Fresh Expression, but they are three people that would never go inside of a church, like you are doing incredible ministry. Uh, I, I think of the, uh, the 99 uh, sheep that the shepherd leaves for one. Um, so if you've got a, a congregation of five uh, folks that have left the, the flock, uh, then you've got a congregation that's worth 500 people to God. Uh, so to prioritize folks outside the church that much, 99 times one, uh, over a, a hundredfold, uh, that's the priority we need, the tenacious priority of those outside of the church. Um, and it's going to mean that we have to give up our comfort. Uh, there's really uncomfortable conversations that happen uh, when we prioritize folks outside of the church. Um, it might mean we have to prioritize over church people's feelings. I mentioned that awkward conversation I have, and that doesn't feel good uh, to tell someone, I don't think that this is the right fit for you. Um, it might mean we have to prioritize folks outside of the church over our coolness, uh, over our uh, social standing, um, uh, over... Uh, our political uh, views of our friends or uh, to put ourselves in places that might get us judged. Um, but it's, it's that priority that creates uh, a safe place. Yeah. Um, so I know there are different things that you're doing. How do, how do people hear about it? Like mm -hmm. how do they say I want to attend, yeah. sign up? Like how do they show up? Yeah, so 90% 90, 90 of the time it's relationship. Um, so... When we advertise or when we get in the newspaper or when somebody finds our website, it's a church person. Uh, folks outside the church aren't looking for a church, so they're not looking in the newspaper uh, for an advertisement or they're not uh, checking their mail. Uh, uh, so it's relationship. Um, and that means it's harder, but it's, it's also better because uh, it's, it's that trust that you build when you meet someone outside of the church and then you meet their friend. Um, and, and then it's this kind of multiplying idea of, of when you meet one person outside of the church, their friends are then all people outside of the church. Where if we start a dinner church with 12 church people and all their church friends, all their friends are from their church, like is never going to move beyond. 
And so we have to put ourselves in places where we form relationships with those outside the church. So it's going to those third places, going to the gym, going to the track, talking to strangers, uh, getting to know folks. Um, I think it's important. Yeah. Any other questions? And can we uh, talk? Could you give a context of uh, uh, an existing church that? And what's your name, to, Brian? Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, my name is Brian. Um, I live in Denver. I'm actually in transition. I'm moving to Pennsylvania okay. to a larger church. Actually, to that Brian's church sitting on the floor. Um, so. Um, the church is really a thriving church, a couple thousand adults. Mm-hmm. Um, has a really great ministry like with Alpha for people who are in, already interested in Christianity. Mm-hmm. So I guess the, the question is for an established church that's pretty healthy and thriving, how do you see connecting? You have that dilemma of, okay, there's a hundred Christians in this room and let's invite to people who are maybe seeking, maybe not into the context. So what would you say to the church that's established and has a critical mass, as it were, of creating these kinds of environments mm-hmm. where the unchurched person, the non-Christian, doesn't feel ganged up on yeah. the token? Kind of thing? Um, so I think if you have 2,000 uh, church members or 1,000 church members, that you probably have like a hundred missionaries, you know, that people that are like, you don't even have to teach it to them. They just get it. Um, and so to find those folks and to send them out two by two, like Jesus did, and to, to tell them to, to look for those third places, look for those affinity groups, people that share their interests, um, and just start forming relationships and, and seeing what happens. So just kind of empowering them to go outside to send them. Um, and don't stop what y'all are doing. If you have an alpha program, keep doing that. Uh, keep doing having vibrant worship. Keep doing all the things that that are going on, but uh, creating this new opportunity for new leaders. And often it'll be folks that aren't all that interested in the other uh, leadership opportunities in your church. So it might be the folks that come late and leave early from Sunday morning worship that are your best leaders. Um, so. Okay, that explains why I come late. Exactly. <laughs> Mm-hmm. How do you what's how do you start the conversation mm-hmm. without coming off like like I'm very animated and you know mm-hmm. I love church but how do you have that conversation without turning someone off Yeah um so I think that's where that relationship comes in um so in uh uh Travis Collins has a little short little book up in the bookstore and it has the fresh expressions journey on it. it's on the website too i mean google fresh expressions journey and it's what the uk found to be the kind of steps that went into starting a fresh expression um, and so when you start a fresh expression you don't start with your program or with your event um, you start with listening and with relationship uh, and so um, dave mail the uh, uk former uh head of Fresh Expressions for the UK, he, he phrased it, love, relate, create. Um, so we're, we're, we're loving our, our community, we're loving our neighbors, we're forming relationships with them, we're getting to know them. Um, and then once we get to know them, we know what to create um, because we know what they're passionate about, we know what they like to do, we know what questions they have, what struggles they're going through. 
Um, and so it's a, it's a process. Um, and one of the, uh, my kind of favorite aspects of that is as you get to know folks and you relate to them, um, you might create a social gathering that doesn't uh, include discipleship. So you might, uh, people were talking about meals, you might uh, offer a meal. And then on another night of the week, once you've built that relationship, invite them to come to talk about a Jesus story uh, or something like that. So that we're not baiting and switching because that's another uh, aspect of destroying safety. Awesome. There you go. You can write a book on sex and be missional. It's a good tie-in, Deb. Yeah, that is a good tie. <laughs> that is so funny. Well, actually, I'm actually going to be teaching a little bit about this tonight. Um, but I think, um, oh, the way we've kind of gone, let me just give you a little bit of context. Gosh, these things are hanging, hold them. Um, I have this theory about these microphones, that they're created by misogynists <laughs> who don't believe women should speak because there's nowhere to hang them or put them or... Anyway, yes, I know. Uh, uh, just con context for us, um, we led a church in Melbourne for about 16 years. It was a very messy community. Um, we, had a, we had a big... Uh, big contingent, if that's the right word, of people from the LGBT community. Uh, so for us, safety for them was very important. We, we had a lot of, um, of non-believers hanging out with us uh, from all communities as well. And, um, and we were doing a lot of work with the working girls in our red light district, which was just, you know, five minutes from the church, all of that kind of stuff. So it was very, very messy and a little bit like what Luke was saying, you know, when people, you know, we were kind of the seen as our denomination as a little bit of the freak church. They kind of tolerated us in a sense. But then we started growing. And then we, you know, we, we get their attention. And then of course, other, you know, starts influx of a lot of Christians. And it was initially kind of formed, you know, the leadership team. None of us had come from Christian backgrounds, so it, which was a real advantage for us because we didn't have a lot of the traditions. We had a traditional building in a sense, but a lot of the leadership weren't from Christian backgrounds. So that was helpful. Uh, although there were some that were as well. But what we had to do was really, um, because everyone was mingling in together, you know, they're all kind of hanging out together. And we re realised, I mean, a lot of the non-Christians were there because of the relationships that were built with other people. Um, so they would come in and it, was a, it wasn't a churchy, churchy church. So people didn't feel unsafe in that sense. But we still had enough, you know, we were, we've always been very Jesus-centred. So... But what, what we found too, you know, when we started getting a lot of Christians, you know, it be, the complaining started happening. You know, doesn't that, just lovely, isn't it? Uh, I've come to believe actually, I don't want to, I won't go right off on tangent here, but part of, I think one of the, the main problems with the church is people don't have non-Christian friends. It's just as simple as that. If we all had non-Christian friends, um, we'd have to learn to talk differently. We'd have to learn to relate differently. We'd see people differently. But we don't. So, so many of the people in the church do not connect with non-Christians. So that became a bit of an issue for us. So we would really, I mean, we weren't as, probably as gentle as you, but you have that lovely pastoral face. We were, <laughs> this 
beautiful, beautiful, it's a beautiful pastoral face. I want you to be my pastor. <laughs> but we would be, you know, like in terms of creating safety, I mean, we had different issues and different levels of safety we needed to create. So we would find who are the safe people, first and foremost, in our communities. And they would be the ones that we would release on the people that were kind of hanging around the edges. So we were actually, like I said, quite intentional about doing that. Um, but we also found, you know, having non-Christians there, some of the non-Christians, I mean, both of them, the Christians or the non-Christians can be unsafe. Let's be honest here. Um, so we actually got people who were the safety keepers. You know, because sometimes, like in our first church, you know, some people would come in to pick up people. You know, so we would nominate somebody was kind of the keeping the eyes on what was going on with people. In um, at Tribe, the church I was leading in Los Angeles, that was even messier than our church back in, in Melbourne. Because um, it, was, it was actually birthed out of the Burning Man community, if some of you are aware of the Burning Man community. So there was always this kind of, a lot of weirdos just hanging out. And a lot of drugs, which, you know, can create unsafety just you know, because of what they can do to people. So we had to, again, be even more intentional in that community to say, and to speak it out, this is a place of safety. You know, people are coming from all walks of life here with all belief systems. <coughs> um, you know, we would have panentheists, Buddhists, you know, I mean, all sorts of weird and wonderful beliefs. Um, and what we had to do in order to help them belong in many ways really was get rid of every tradition that wasn't necessary. For them to feel comfortable. Now, again, I'm basing this from a. Ch this was not a church building either, but this was a uh, already a set up church community, if you like. But we kind of met within uh, big art labs, uh, so we've kind of met in our mission field, in a sense, which was really, you know, good. Um, but but the one thing that I found, and this might sound <coughs> weird, we never ever um, hid the Jesus factor. We just had that belief that Jesus says, "You lift me up." I'll draw the people. Um, but we realised people were not put off by Jesus. It was all the church and the traditions and the weirdo Christians and all that kind of stuff. So we, I found that quite interesting, actually. Never once did we have to apologise for the Jesus factor. And I love that. And I really do believe people are drawn. There's, why would they hang out with us anyway? I mean, if you're meeting them in, in their own context and, that, and they're hanging out with you and they want to be around you, it's the Jesus in you that they're drawn to anyway. Um, so I think, you know, we never had to worry about that. We, we always lifted up Jesus and said, we are a community that gathers around Jesus. Um, but we'd also teach a little bit about that, you know, how many are familiar with the bound and centered set kind of stuff? Not too many. Okay. Some of you are. Okay, I'm going to talk a little bit about that tonight when I, so I won't go too much in it. But, but we would actually teach on that. We would say this, you know, you know, a bounded set is very much, and this is what we would do this with our members, like the Christians that are there, because they'd have to be told. Because you have to tell, <laughs> you just have to tell them. The, the in, you know, the, the bounded set is, you know, very clear lines between who gets in and who gets out. You know, that kind of thing. And then the centered set, we put Jesus at the center and, you know, everybody's somewhere in relation to Jesus. And our role really, um, well, I believe anyway, is that we are to disciple everybody we come into contact with. So it's pre- and post-conversion discipleship. So that's what we kind of, the model we work on. It's not this evangelistic thing to all those people out there, <coughs> drag them back in. It's set up Jesus in the centre. And, and, you know, and this goes along with something that you were saying too. It's, 
you know, the creator, I can't remember the way you said it, but, you know, what is good news for people? What is good news for people? You know, and Jesus is always going to be good news. I mean, we've just got to trust and believe that. And I think I've, I've seen that again and again, how the Jesus factor, lift him up. Don't be embarrassed about Jesus. Just lift him up. Um, and he does draw the people. But I think with, um, you know, with the safety thing, You've got, to, you've got to let your people know. If you're doing it in the context of a church and people are coming in, you've got to let them know this is what we're on about. And, and you, for me, there was a lot of wrestling between uh, my missional heart, because I see myself as a missionary. I actually probably, more often than not, prefer to be with non-Christians, actually, as I'm sure a lot of you uh, do. So my missionary heart for the outsider, for the other, to be part of something, but also my pastoral heart for the the sheep that God has put under my care as a pastor. So, so the safety goes two ways. You know, you've got to help, you know, your flock, if you like, your people feel safe because sometimes some of the people coming in do not have the same ethics or the moral things or whatever. Um, so you've got to help them be safe at the same time help those that are coming in be safe from the crazy Christians. So it's, does that make sense? It's a two-way thing. <coughs> Was what? Was to win. They told the other group of kids just to get in. That was all they said. Well, when they would start, they kept all the other kids out. One group of kids from the other ones had the arms locked and everything like that. By the end of it, they asked me, you know, well, who won? Well, of course, the kids that said that they didn't let anybody in said that they won. When definitively it was what was considered winning. Was it letting them in? Ah, there you go. I like that. It's really good. Yeah, it's, it really is an, an, an issue, I think, for people. With, with this, we also would identify who the, you know, the, the missionaries were within the community. I think that's really, really important. And often when you're, when you're kind of trying to work on a centered set approach rather than a bounded set, and again, I'll talk about this more tonight, um, when the people are out here kind of making the relationships, building the relationships in third places and all of that kind of stuff, um, it's very hard to bring them back into here. You know, this is a question I get time and time again. I'm working with, you know, street workers over here and I'm, we're building these, slowly building these relationships and beginning to share our faith and they're beginning to trust us and we're becoming safe people for them. Where do I send them? I can't take them back here because it's full of traditions and, you know. So my thing is always identify the people in here. There's going to be some mature, obviously, some mature Christians here that are going to be able to navigate some of these people and create those zones, you know, the, like dinner parties or where you invite these people in and some of these people. So you begin to build those relationships. So some people from the church are coming in to the dinner party, meeting with the working girls and you know, it's beginning to kind of build their relationships. So slowly doing that, and then this can become, becomes a missional community, or can. I mean, we did that with uh, Matthew's party. You know, Jesus goes to Matthew's place and all the tax collectors and sinners are there. You know, that was our first church plant, was called Matthew's party. There was a lot of street people, a lot of working girls. Um, and we couldn't bring them back here because by this time, we had a lot more Christians. 
But we were also like you. We would have to say to people, um, if you're coming here, you need to know this is how we are. Um, I mean, you've got to just say it. This is how we are. This is how we behave. We've, we've got a calling to this people group or to these type of individuals. You might find that you are uncomfortable with that. You might need to go somewhere else. I mean, honestly, I don't, you know, I don't... <laughs> I think what you're saying is true. Our priority must be for the outsider. And we must keep that push there. But there are ways of creating these, uh, you know, dinner parties or places of um, neutral, you know, neutral places where both people can feel confident. It's not in the working girls' space and it's not in the Christian space. It's somewhere else that's kind of neutral to both and then help build those relationships. Um, and they become places of safety in and of themselves because everyone feels okay in those contexts. Whereas, you know, some of the girls, you know, they don't feel comfortable here because they're, they're the scarlet letter people, you know, and we don't let them forget that, you know, which is the sexuality stuff, isn't it, in my book. But I, talk, I do talk about this in the book, but I'm raving on. What time is it? Okay, it's 4.20. You were going to say something. Well, I was going to ask the things that you were saying about the, the mission of community that you developed, you know, this is how we are, this is how we behave, this is how we do things. That's the same thing the church is doing. <clears throat> and that's why people aren't, aren't comfortable continuing to come in. So once the missional community has been es established for a while or whatever, what keeps it from becoming the next tradition oh, that yeah. we're having the refresh expressions 50 years from now? Yeah. Well, I mean, that's a whole other conversation for another workshop. <laughs> <laughs> but it's true. But again, I don't want to simplify this. I think part of it is, is that they lose touch with non-believers. Oh, I, I don't, I, I don't you know, and that's anything yeah. that you said there, except I just question... Hmm. What kind of mission are we, are we creating a brand new church that 50 years from now yeah. is going to be the traditional church? Yeah. In all likelihood, because that's kind of the way things go, isn't it? But again, you keep, if you keep always on the edge, always, there's got to be, it's got to be non-Christians hanging out with you, I think. So I think keep that, keep it fresh, you know, have your leadership team clued in. You know, once we start creating traditions... <laughs> That's when it all starts happening. Uh, yeah, and so, I think or if we I, to teach our, our church people all how to do that. Yeah, and I think if you keep these kind of gatherings happening, that middle space and that outreach, that yeah. the new It'll folks split. will the new folks will continue yeah. to to push that kind of exclusivity. Yeah. Yeah, and I guess you start again. Yeah. Yes, I think it's kind of like what your husband talked about earlier that you know Jesus started and then you had the Jewish churches kind of sprung up and then from there you had the Galileans and then that's the same thing there. That right. center one will splinter into new yes. fresh expressions yeah. as it starts to become institutionalized into what it becomes. It will it will get a new horizon, and it will come become and it will splinter off and this new thing. Yeah. And I think that's what scares the traditional church is it, it's not wanting to let go. It wants to come in. Yeah. So the the letting go is what we need to do. That's what Christ did. Yeah. He sent, and this yeah. this new nucleus will send. Yeah. 
if it if it continues to grow. And and I think keeping mission as as a kind of you know center center thing, you know that we kind of everything factors around mission. What we do in our gatherings is you know how how are we being missional in this context. So it becomes a kind of uh, the organising principle of everything we do, mission, which is what you said, you know, our priority's got to be to the unbeliever. And I think that's how you keep the kind of the freshness going rather than it becoming institutionalised. But I mean, I don't know how you stop institutionalisation. Uh, you know, it just, it just goes on, doesn't it? Yeah, so I mean, that's... I mean, writers like Andy Crouch, I mm -hmm. think, help us understand that institution is not bad. Yeah. But what we do with institutions can be really beautiful or it can become bad. Yeah. Um, I was really struck by a quote recently from uh, David Brooks. He talks about um, spirituality is not just about grace and freedom, but it's also about bindings and commitments. Hmm. Falling in love with an idea and the truth, and then building a structure of behavior or habits of the heart around that, what you love so that when love falters, there's still something that keeps you centered. Mm. And I think what happens sometimes is we get so, sort of, we get so concerned about institutions and structure that we almost do away with the very structures of belief and behavior that will actually people need so that they will move into stability. I mean, I think that's part yeah. of the wrestling with, you know, fresh expressions, avant-garde movements, cutting-edge yeah. movements. Yeah. I mean, you know, you want to get real edgy, and yeah, at some point, you have to help people build those really reasonable structures of, of um, belief, behavior, habits of the heart. Yeah. It's a real, real, real interesting challenge. Yeah, it's a, I think it's a tension that we just have to continually navigate, uh, because tradition isn't necessarily no. bad. It's good for us. Um, habits are good for us, and it's part of as we kind of, um, yeah, but it is, it's, it is a tension. But I think it's also, you know, I don't know, I'm just somebody who always thinks time is short. We are the people of the light. We are the people of the life, of the hope, you know. We've got to keep pushing this and, you know, a lot of the church isn't ready for that. Um, but that doesn't mean we kind of neglect them either. You know, I, I want to pastor my flock. I want to help them to kind of be you know, reaching out to others and all that kind of stuff. But, yeah, it is, it's a tension, isn't it? It's a, it's a real tension. Somebody had their hand up just before. One thing I no, learned uh, from all this is, uh, and, and we're still working at this, especially the team, you know, working with uh, people who are, whose lifestyle is far from what God's best is for their life, we have to learn that we're not, it's not our job to fix them. Yeah. And one of the things that we really keep in mind when we're building a relationship with these folks and they become our friends and become our community because we, is our community now, if we don't go somewhere else to church, I and mean, this is our little do-good thing, if it is our church, uh, is I keep in mind uh, how the, that little pastor responded when you're at your house, when uh, he would kind of start coming to your house and start ministering or teaching, uh, and yeah. you would ask, okay, we have questions. That, should we be doing this? And I remember you said, he said, uh, I don't know. Uh, Ask well, God. Let's do some more reading, and next week when I come back, you mm. tell me. And that, yeah. he, he just directed you to the master. The master's mm -hmm. the one that gave you, when you came back, he said, no, I don't think we should do that. We've read, you've given us you yeah. know, a direction, and we feel the Lord, uh, you know, God, or whoever you thought at the time. 
So I think it's done. It's just leading, revealing Jesus and letting him do the heavy lifting, the Holy Spirit. Yeah. And I think that's, that's such a great example. And when you're early church, when you first came to faith, and that whole household was a great example. Yeah. I think what you described yeah. too about not fixing someone like that's that's a safe space like I can already tell that what y'all are doing is safe if if you're cherishing people and not uh, trying to get them to fit into your box like yeah, and they don't know Paul yeah. but I, I think I'm like Paul I'm a chief sinner you know what am I yeah. going to tell you let me I, mm -hmm. I, I, get, I get someone you get, can give you direction mm -hmm. I can point you to him but I'm not the one that's going to fix your life yeah. I have all the answers okay? yeah so, I mean, it really helps because they open up conversations. Uh, they want more. Mm. Uh, it's, it's incredible. It's awesome. Yeah. But basically, like, uh, giving them the safe space and, and what happened with you, yeah. that little pastor uh, coming in and saying, and you ask a question, instead of him saying, well, you should do it this way or that way. Yeah. Okay. Actually, he was a remarkable example. As a pastor, when I first became a believer, there's a whole bunch of us found God together from all sorts of weird and wonderful backgrounds. And, um, and we were just young, fresh, and we stumbled upon this little Christian chapel. And let me tell you, this chapel was full of fundamentalists. I mean, it was a fundamentalist church of Christ. Uh, and we didn't know. We kind of just stumbled in there because we'd had found faith because of guy that led a lot of us to the Lord found God in prison so that we had no structure of church or and we were kind of reading the Bible and learning for about three months before we went to church and we stumbled into this little place and thought well, and every, you know the youth group were in their 60s you know which was just delightful and we, we we're all early 20s and we all look like freaks seriously freaks you know goths and punks and you know, I remember wearing my pajama top to church the first time and a guy had his underwear hanging out and mohawks and we shouldn't have been public at all. We <laughs> so when we, when we stepped into this place, and but we were hungry, hungry for God. And so we stepped into this place full of older folk that women wear, wore hats and men in suits, no women in any leadership or even up the front at all. Um, and that's where God had us. But the pastor, Pat, was remarkable. He would come to our house. We were all living in community. It was chaotic. It was a house that was half Christians, half not. You know, so the Holy Spirit was kind of doing the Holy Spirit's work, you know. But it, so there was a lot of interesting things still going on in that house. And, um, and Pat would just come and sit at our kitchen table, open up his big Schofield Bible. It was a Schofield Bible. Sit there and whoever wanted would just come and sit around the table. And he would just share the Jesus stories, just one after another. And people would come in stoned or... You know, we'd have men in bed with men upstairs. There'd be drug dealing going on in the lounge room. I mean, it was messy. And this man in his 60s in his suit did not let any of this phase him. He just came there faithfully every, every Wednesday, sat around that table and opened up the word. Did not once judge or, you know, wag his kind of finger, not once, because he knew God was at work and he trusted what the Lord was doing among us. And he became a model of grace and what it is to be a Jesus person in the midst of mess for us. He really taught us so, so, so much. But you're right, even the way he discipled us was not about the control. He would say, we would ask a question, like Mark and I were sharing a bed, but, you know, we were both living as gay people, so it wasn't about sex, we were just sharing a bed, it's what you did. And we're like, should we? Do you think God wants us to be sharing the same bed? He didn't tell us. No, you should 
get out. He said, why don't you ask the Lord? He would always push us back to praying ourselves and working it out ourselves. And, you know, we ended up selling the bed but buying bunks, you know, so we stayed in the same room. But, but the point was we grew because we had to go to Jesus ourselves and he wasn't a pastor that was controlling. But he taught us as a very important model of what it is to be around messy people. You don't have to control things. God is bigger than all of us. Thank God God is. Like, you know, thanks for Jesus' story. Yeah. How did, he, how did he introduce that? I mean, was it from your questions and then he would share what Jesus would have done? Yeah, well, I guess a bit of everything, really. And, uh-huh. But, you know, he, he was just so tender, too, with, the, you know, some of the people that might be drugged sitting around the table because they'd have questions because they're stoned and so they're curious, you know. <laughs> and, um, but he, he would just listen and then just share. But again, it was none of this control, none of this, oh, we've got to fix up this mad mess. He knew God was at work. And so I think wherever your contexts are with all the people, God is at work and you know that and God will be God. And, you know, he is the one that will lead them. But again, it's, you know, Jesus draws the people. He just does. Fresh Expressions is a worldwide movement of everyday missionaries who want to see churches thrive in the places we live, eat, work, and play by leveraging the creativity and endurance of the inherited church. To learn a simple five-phase process for starting a new expression of church, go to freshexpressions.com backslash how to start. Season three is brought to you by FX Connect, an online community full of other church leaders passionate about reaching new people in new places. Access our entire library of practical and inspiring training materials and connect with other church leaders at fxconnectus.org. Season three of the Fresh Expressions podcast is hosted by me, Heather Jalad. It's edited and produced by Jeanette Statz, Kathleen Blackie, and Chris Morton. Our national director is Dr. Christopher Backert. If you have learned something or been encouraged by this podcast, please help us spread the word. You can give us a review on Apple Music or Spotify and share this episode on social media. Now, may God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face shine on us so that his ways may be known on earth and salvation among all nations.